0: Hi, everybody. My name is Nick Beard. I'm the audio visual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Amen. Thank you, Janet. Keep your glasses. You know, they make a little holder for those things. (laughs) Morning, everybody. Happy 4th weekend, I guess, 4th of July weekend. Um, Last Sunday night, I uh, was done here. My wife was in Oregon, I was all alone. And I uh, decided to pop in on uh, one of our pastors. I think a pop-in is a lost art. As a kid, when I grew up in Novato, uh, summers meant for us after dinner, my parents would go play tennis in Pioneer Park, and I'd go and kick the football do something you know, as a little kid. And then we'd get back in the car, go to a and get a softie. You guys remember softies? And then they'd say, who should we pop in on? And it was so fun. We'd just pop in on people. So I want to bring back the pop-in. Can I get an Amen. Okay, So anyway, I popped in on Pastor Carlos and his wife, Emily, and they were back in the back porch and in true pop-in fashion, like, come on, sit with us, we're just hanging out. And so we spent about an hour together, and then they were very gracefully and graciously said, it's time for the pop-in to end. And I said... <laughs> Why is that? He says, because america Got Talent is coming on. Now, I've never watched AGT. And I'm like, AGT? What?" He's like, oh, bro. He goes, it is my summer bliss. And so they told me about the rules of America's Got Talent, that uh, in the audition stage that they're in right now, uh, each judge gets one golden buzzer. And uh, only one for the whole season. But if someone is so good in their audition, the judge will hit the golden buzzer and they go automatically to the live show. And it's just like the epitome of AGT to get the golden buzzer. So I figured, well, they're watching America's Got Talent. I drove home and turned around was home all alone and watched America's Got Talent. The last act on last Sunday's night was a little girl. She's not that little. She's 15 and her name's Amanda Mania. Uh, and they tell her backstory. She came to America at age four. Uh, she didn't speak any English, came from the Dominican Republic and was bullied in school. And they asked, well, how did you get through that? And she said, well, my mom, single mom, was amazing and music. And they said, what are you singing for us? And she sung uh, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman and crushed it. I mean, it was just amazing. And then this happened. Watch this. just blown away thank you so with much. your beautiful voice I mean you have a beautiful voice and you're a beautiful girl Thank you I loved it well I gotta say you sang natural woman you are a super natural talent thank you. <laughs> Simon do you know what you have Amanda you have genuinely natural soul. Thank you. You really, really do. I mean, that's not an easy song to sing. This is an audition we're going to remember for a long time, Amanda. All right, Mel B, what do you think? Oh my gosh, where do I start? That was just incredible. Thank you. Oh, I've got all goose pimples. All and this is what I'm going to say to all those bullies So at that point, I'm home all alone. I'm holding my 14-year-old pug, just crying with her, saying, hold me, Mary Jane, hold me. And I'm going, why am I crying, why am I crying now? I've watched that a hundred times. Why am I crying now? And, and I'm sitting in that, and I'm sensing that that is a modern-day parable. Um, that is the whole reason Jesus told parables. It's the whole reason 30% of his teaching was in parable form to get to our hearts in a way that goes through our minds in a way that didactic teaching can't do it. And I would invite you in, in your artistic experiences, whatever brings tears, uh, that is close to the core of who you are. God is using that art to get to your heart. For me, I was never bullied, but uh, you know, grew up in a pretty critical shame honor home, usually with shame. Uh, and even still, we all face criticism. And I just love the fact God spoke through that to me that, you know what? In heaven's eyes, don't worry about what others say. In heaven's eyes, you're a golden buzzer to me. All that brings us to the parables. And we're in this series called The Greatest Stories Ever Told. And this, uh, these are parables, are first century, small, brief stories. Today's only one verse. Jesus told two one-verse parables. We're looking at one of them today that pack a big, life-changing meeting. Here's what the stories do. The same thing that story did. They pull you into this world of fiction that Jesus tells. And just as you get drawn in, Jesus turns you around to look at your own world and to see it from a perspective that you completely missed prior. It's an amazing teaching uh, experience of Jesus. He was masterful as a teacher. And it's why 30% of his time in his teaching, he pulled his audience in through these fictitious stories. And just as they're drawn in, he turned them around and said, now look at the world differently. Um, And we're studying them this, this summer. It's so important. And so what we're looking at today is this, this story on the kingdom of God. You can see it. He called it the kingdom of heaven. Matthew doesn't call it the kingdom of God because Matthew was Jewish, and he was afraid to take the Lord's name in vain. So he calls it the kingdom of heaven, never uses the word Yahweh. And, um, and what Jesus is doing is saying, I want to teach you about the kingdom of God. Most of his parables were about the kingdom of God. When I say kingdom of God, this is a rhetorical question. What comes to your mind? How do you define the kingdom of God. Uh, The kingdom of God is not a realm, it's not a political geographical area, it's a reign, R-E-I-G-N. I'll email this out to you this week, but sit in this, okay? Here's my definition. The kingdom of God is where God's spirit moves God's people to embrace God's priorities and God's power to see God's purposes on God's planet. It's a lot, let me say it again. The kingdom of God is where God's spirit moves God's people to embrace God's priorities in God's power to see God's purposes on God's planet. Now that may not have sunk in, so let me give you a picture of the kingdom of God. Look at this, you saw it before. That is the kingdom of God. Along with that picture, Anthony Mejia, who's a pastor over at the community center, sent me uh, this text, Gary, this is my highlight from today. Maybe the whole summer, Jared, that's his son, the high school senior in the back there, was invited the latest arrivals of refugees staying at our hostel to play soccer with us. 13 accepted the invitation. Now here's the kingdom picture. And for two hours, there were no refugees. For two hours there were no Africans or Americans. For two hours there were no French speakers or English speakers. There were only young men playing hard, laughing and enjoying just being young men. It was heaven on earth, praise God. And as Janet told you, the kingdom even came through more vividly when two of those guys gave their life to Christ. In other words, that was a statement from God, Italy may reject you, because they tried to go there on their ship, got turned around and sailed aimlessly, fleeing their country for their lives. But I don't reject you, God says. And I've sovereignly allowed you to end up in a hostel where people from halfway around the world have come to give you my story to you. You're worth a golden buzzer in heaven's eyes. The kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus taught about. So today we're going to explore one of those parables. Was it read too fast? Let's look at it on the screen or open your Bibles, better yet, to Matthew 13 or look at your message notes. We're going to dig through this. I'm going to try and bring a meaning to the parable that you may not have heard before and I'm going to back it up with scripture. So if you have issues with my interpretation, I hold myself before the context of scripture and call me out if I'm wrong, okay? But sit and prove it with scripture, Okay. Are we good? Okay, great. Three of us are good. Here we go. Just kidding. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Now, traditionally, I have studied, read, heard this parable preached that the kingdom of God, something something like this, the kingdom of God is a priceless treasure. And you can't buy it, but it's worth everything you've got. So give up everything you've got to pursue kingdom endeavors. And then it's usually followed up with, now let's take an offering. Okay? But, you know, before a mission trip, it's worth it. You can't give up a week. Are you kidding? The kingdom's worth everything. That's usually how I've heard this parable taught. Okay? Um, but I would ask you, just sit in that for a second. I'm going to give you a minute to reflect. I trust the Holy Spirit in you, and if you're just popping in on us and visiting us, you're so welcome here. You can still read the Bible, even if you don't believe it. You don't have to believe to belong here. Just look at it yourself, because this could change your life. This could change your life. What do you think it means? Just sit in that. Look at the, look at the verse, one verse, and try to ask God, what does this mean? Look for yourself. Go. Go. Let me give you four reasons why I really believe we aren't the man in the field seeking the treasure and why the kingdom of God is not the treasure being sought. Here we go, page one. This is where you dig into scripture, ready? Here we go. We can't find the kingdom. Sometimes people say, I found it. I grew up in, uh, I was born in 1964. I remember in the 70s, there was this national campaign and our neighbor had this yellow sign on their window. I found it, right? Does anyone remember the I found it campaign of the 70s? Am I the only one that does, okay. Um, you can't find the kingdom. Uh, the Bible says when sin entered the world, it blinded human beings. So we can't find the kingdom. Uh, let me b- build this out, okay? If you're taking notes, this is not in, in your notes. It's not going to be on the screen. Adam and Eve in the garden. Let's go right back to the start. Genesis chapter 3. When sin enters the world, what do they do? Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. Listen. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, and God has been calling to every man and woman ever since. Where are you? See, from the start, when sin entered the world, humans hid. God was on the search. So theologically, from the story arc of scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, we aren't the ones looking. God is looking. John chapter 15, verse 16, it's in your notes, it'll be on the screen. Look what Jesus said to his followers. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Now let me ask you a question. Look, open book. Who chooses who? Okay? Humans aren't choosing God. God's choosing us and changing us from the inside. That's why it's good news, everybody. Later on, Jesus would say this, one of his followers would say this, we love 1 John four nineteen because he first loved us. Who loved first, church? God. And the only reason we love God is because he initiated. So we can't find the kingdom. That informs how we interpret this parable. Second thing I want you to ponder, we can't hide the kingdom. Someone in this parable, when they found the treasure, hid it again. What do you mean we can't hide the kingdom? It's too pervasive. Yeah, yeah, you may be able to hide a light inside you. Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Hided your light under a bushel. But the kingdom is way too big. It's way too expansive. Thank God we can't control the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11 verse 12 and from the time of John the Baptist began preaching till now the kingdom of God has been what two words has been what church has been forcefully advancing you can't stop it even though we're in the hardest soil in the most, one of the most unchurched places in the world when it comes to people following Christ. We aren't stopping the kingdom of God. It's still advancing. Thank God. If it rested in my hands, for my neighbors, I couldn't live under that weight. So the second thing I want you to see, you can't hide the kingdom. Thirdly, you can't buy the kingdom. Whoever was in this parable bought it. What do you mean you can't buy the kingdom? Do I have everyone's attention? It's not for sale. You buy things, that's only for the privileged. It's only for people who have enough. But the kingdom's for everyone, so God gives it away. Look what Jesus said in um, that Ephesians, I'm sorry, Paul said in Ephesians 2, it's available for everyone. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation isn't a reward for good things we've done so that none of us can boast about it. The fourth thing I want to offer you before I give you the interpretation is this. You can't deny the context. Never take one verse out of context. Never. I don't care who says it to you. Pastor, politician. Never take one verse out of context. Ever. Ever. You've got to look at context. Let's look at the context of Matthew chapter 13. You'll see seven parables that Jesus told in Matthew 13. Do you have your Bibles open? Open them. Let's do Bible study. It's what we came for, right? Okay. Matthew 13. Look at verse one to three, look at the context. His first four parables are public. Look what it says. That same day Jesus went out of the house, sat by a lake. Large crowds gathered around him. He got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore and he told them many things, what? In parables. And then he riddles off seven parables, one after the other. What's the first one? Look at verse three to 23. I don't care if you don't look at me, just look at your Bibles, that's good. Three to 23, it's about a guy sowing uh, seed in the field. And who's the farmer? It's God in the parable. What's the soil? The world. That's the first parable. Look at the second one, the parable of the weeds, verse 24 to 30. It's about a field and a person sows seed, but then weeds grow up. Who's the sower? Who's the man in the parable? God. What's the field? The world. Look at the third parable, verse 31 to 32 tells a parable about a mustard seed, something so small that's planted in a field and becomes so pervasive it overtakes the field. Who's the man? God. What's the field? Humanity. Then, look at this. The whole chapter changes in verse 36. Are you looking? Look what happens. Then he left the crowd, he went into the house, and his disciples came to him. These are private parables. Jesus shuts the door. It's just him and his followers. And he says, now let me tell you some things that I only want you as my followers to hear. And he tells them this parable. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy, he sold all he had and bought the field. Do you see? Jesus is painting the same Structure with the same uh, objects in the story. There's a man, there's a field. And the man plants something. Reflect, given the context of his other parables, what is the field, who is the man, and what's the great treasure? Could it be, could it be, that Jesus is teaching a radical truth? And if you are popping in, I really want you to listen in. Because what I'm about to say is what sets Jesus apart from every other major world religious leader. And sets Christianity apart from every other faith claim on the planet. It's why we believe Jesus is for everybody, including Northern African refugees. Could it be that God is not asking us to reach out for him through religious effort and pay a price to be loved by him? That is pretty much the sum of every other major world religion. Pay the price through your religious deeds and maybe you'll earn God's love. But that you and I are so lost, we are so buried, that God is actually seeking us as his treasure. A treasure that... That no one else sees but God sees and when God found you he joyfully gave everything he had for you Lori for even little Duke for me Mike for you Bryce for you that Jesus paid the full price so he could have you Because when everyone else saw a dead field worth nothing, God sees a treasure. Friends, let's dig deeper. And let's look. This is an autobiographical parable. I believe with all my heart. The field is the world. The man is Jesus. The treasure is us. And that raises some questions. page two. Look at page two. Did Jesus, and these are the questions I asked when I started thinking this through. Did Jesus really joyfully give up everything to buy us? Look at what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Look how it says it. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now we're talking about Jesus. Look what it says. For the what? Joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorned and shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Wow. Look what it says in another place. Paul is speaking to this church in Corinth, a church that was um, just crazy with uh, sexual immorality. And Paul is calling the church, just the church, to a radical sexual ethic. And he says, what is the motive I'm going to reach for that will motivate the followers of Jesus to have purity in their life? And look what he points to. He says, don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you've received from God? Now look, everybody, you're not your own. You were what? Bought with a price, what? Yes, God paid a price for you, therefore honor God with your bodies. Did Jesus really joyfully give up everything to buy us? Yes, he did, falls right in line with the the parable. Then I'd ask this question, Am I really treasured in God's eyes? Now I could point to a million scriptures. We could be here till 6 p.m. because this theme comes out time and time and time again. I have one, two, three, four, five, six other verses footnoted in my passage, in my Bible, uh, my message notes. Let's just go to one, Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse six. Look what it says. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. Out of all the peoples of the face of the earth to be his people, his, let's say it together, treasured possession. What? Yeah, that's right in the start of the Bible. Well, where's that in the New Testament? I'm so glad you asked. Look at 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are, let's say these three words together, God's treasured possession. Speak that over your kids. Pray that over your kids, your grandkids. Uh, Please, we got to start bringing this back to the church, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful life. Track with me. This is not a parable about you and me doing something to get the kingdom. This is a parable about Jesus doing everything to get you and me. This is not a parable about you paying the price to show God you're worth saving. This is a parable about Jesus paying the price to show us what we're worth in heaven's eyes. See, in that house with closed doors, Jesus told this parable because he wanted to transport his followers. And everybody wants to transport you too. Because you know what? I have a theory. The church doesn't believe this. We don't. We don't really live like treasured possessions on a treasure hunt with God bringing out the best in humanity. We don't live with the good news of the gospel that I don't care what's happening in an enterprise or in the tech sector or in the medical sector or biotech sector in this area. I have better news than that. God of the universe is seeking you and calls you to come out of hiding. And he sent me here with this message. You're worth a golden buzzer in heaven's eyes. I was um, earlier in May speaking at Samarkand. It's our retirement, a retirement community for the denomination. And many Covenanters from PCC head down to Santa Barbara. It's a great place. And I was doing Founders Week and uh, I stopped and was trying to bring this home. And I said, look at yourself in the mirror. And they kind of laughed and I stopped the whole gathering. I'm like, and these are people in retirement in 70 and 80 and older. And I'm like, don't you look at yourself in the mirror? And almost to a person, you know what they said? No. We don't like what's reflected back. I think, spirits that we all live in some degree of that. And as followers of Christ, Jesus closed the door to lift our eyes to heaven's mirrors to say, let me show you what I see reflected back when you look into heaven's eyes. You're treasured. Friends, if you really internalize that, it would change your marriage. It would change your parenting. It would change who you are as an employee. It would change who you are as a citizen. It would change who you are as a neighbor. It would change everything about you. Everything. That's why Jesus told this parable. Do we dare, dare to believe as followers of Christ, we're found, we've been bought, we're treasured? So what? You say, if this is true. So what? Glad you asked. I asked the same question. That's what page three is about. It speaks to our worth. It speaks to our worth. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you determine what something's worth? Uh, you asked Mary Courtney, my second daughter, she's coming into town tomorrow. The most valuable thing she owns, you know what it is? Her blankie. Uh, it's tattered. Uh, it's like, it's just a, it's just shredded, but this is the blanket. We brought her home in 22 years ago from the hospital. She has slept with it every night of her life. It costs us like five bucks, but it's priceless to her. How do you determine a worth what someone's willing to pay for it? Um, We have athletes in here. Any baseball fans? Few? Uh, What does a major league baseball cost? Any guesses? Six dollars. Uh, Major League Baseball spends $5.5 million a year on baseballs and they cost six bucks. Now, come back with me on August of 2007 and a guy named Matt Murphy and his friend were flying to Australia through San Francisco. They had a 24-hour layover and they said, hey, Giants are playing. Let's go to a Giants game. Sat in the right field bleachers, cheap seats. And then in the fifth inning, Barry Bonds got up to play and this happened. His 756th home run with an asterisk, okay? Right into Matt Murphy's bleachers. He dove for it, got beat up, but held onto that ball. And a year later, that $5 baseball or $6 baseball sold a year later for $742,000. How do you determine what something's worth? What people are willing to pay for it. So how do we determine our worth? Look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18-19. It says, you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It wasn't paid with more, mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Friends, You have been paid, I have been paid for through the blood of Jesus, which is priceless. So look around. Really, look around. Really, look around. Come on. At someone. You are looking in the eyes of God's treasured possession. I want to tell you, that changes everything for me. How I view you, how I view my neighbors, how I view people in my home, it changes everything. And if you are are popping in, uh, I would invite you to come to Christ because apart from him, no one will value you. Nobody on earth like God does. He has dug you up. He has brought you here to hear this very thing. He treasures you. You don't need to hide anymore. Quickly, I gotta end this. It also speaks to our life purpose. That what this means, if it's true, is I get to follow Jesus' example of leveraging everything to join Jesus on a treasure hunt with my one and only life. It means you're not a student anymore. You're a treasure hunter for God. You're not a businesswoman anymore. You're a treasure hunter into the most, um, in the most uh, turned away from, I'm not saying it right, mission field in America, the American workforce. You're not a neighbor on the peninsula anymore. You're a treasure hunter. Everything changes. Around here, we say it this way follow the Holy Spirit, look on uh, the, the banner, and share Jesus Christ. That's what we do. It upgrades every one of our vocations and relationships and ambitions. Everything. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, last verse, and then we'll pray. I could talk about this forever. All this is from God. Your salvation, everything we've talked about. What did he do? He reconciled us. That means to take two people who are enemies and make them friends again to himself through Christ. And then he gave us something. And take out the word us in your Bible. I give you permission to write there. Write your name there. I'll put it in my name. And he gave Gary the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's, oh, that should say sins. There's a typo. Sins against them. And he's given us, he's given Gary, he's given you, he's given you, Russ, you, Chris, you, Janet, you, Nicole. I can go on and on and on. You, Jeff, you, David. He's given you the ministry of reconciliation. That means we get to get up every morning and say, God, let's go on a treasure hunt. Where do I go? I know I'm gonna be an employee at so-and-so company, but really I'm a treasure hunter. You open doors, you open conversations, I'm all in. So when Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in the field, when I found it, I hit it again. Then in my joy, I went and sold all I had and bought that field. That was for you. That was for me. So what do you do with this? You renew your mind, if you're a follower of Christ, that you are God's treasure. It is the most important principle in all the scripture, if you're a follower of Christ, that you have to renew your mind. Nothing trumps it. You are God's treasure. It will change everything about you. And then you confess your sin, like I've been doing all week, of valuing people the way the world does, as his church, as his people. And you say, God, open my eyes to help me see treasures that are hidden. And let me speak over them and call out over them who they truly are and the way I treat them and the way I look them in the eyes, the way I ask for their name, because it humanizes them. And God, if you wanna unearth some treasure through me, like what happened at that soccer game in Spain, I'm all in, I'm all in. Kind of makes life worth living, right? It's good, let's pray. God, it's hot in here, Uh, it's late in the day, but Lord, this truth has got to permeate who we are. It is at the core of our mission locally and globally. So grateful Lord that in one verse you packed so much. God, I confess that uh, I have gotten it wrong so often. And I thought that you'd love me more if I do this or do that or do this. God, you didn't come for that. I pray that you would um, bring healing and wholeness to me and my friends. God, I pray for those who did pop in, who may not know you, who never put their trust in you, that today they would see, you didn't come looking for them to judge them or condemn them, you came to rescue them. And only you can unearth the treasure that's deep inside and hiding from you. If that's you, I wanna just invite you with all my heart. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna manipulate, but I wanna invite you, place your faith in Jesus. Simply say, as an act of faith, to yourself, to God, find me. Unearth the treasure in me. I'm giving you all my blow all my failure, and exchanging it for your forgiveness and your rescue. Jesus, we love you, be honored, we commune with you around the table as we worship you and for the coming days be honored thank you in jesus name and all god's people said amen thank you so much for listening to the peninsula covenant church podcast we believe you're here for a reason and we would love to connect with you more our campuses are located in redwood city california you can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for wearepcc.